in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The preacher of Hebrews uh, had much to say about Jesus Christ as the great high priest. And one thing I failed to mention, and I don't know, all the translations don't really... Don't really do it justice. When he says it's hard to explain what he really meant, what he was really trying to say the way the Greek is, is it's hard to explain to you, his audience, because they were dull of hearing, right? And yeah, there there are things that are hard to teach and, you know, and, and but his his statement was specifically that it was... Hard to make it, I think I read it put one way, to make it intelligible for you. Make it easy for you to digest and understand. And what was the reason we'll see today is because it would be like giving steak to a baby. Which is the the analogy that he ends up using later on. But the thing that that struck me when we read Second Timothy earlier um, was the idea of being teachers, of all Christians being teachers, and the thing that Timothy, or Paul wanted Timothy to understand is the purpose of teaching, while it's also for the maturity of others, it's also for the passing down of the faith. Which if you think about Jude, you think about um, how we have a common faith and that we are, what was I going to say about Jude? But as we pass it down, if we're not guarding it as he's telling Timothy to guard it, people will creep in to try to teach you falsely and bring about false do- doctrine. And so Paul, Paul tells Timothy, you know, remember what I told you. He says in verse 2, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to faithful men who what? Who will be able to teach others. And notice this is in the context of what he said in verse 14 of chapter 1. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And now, Timothy, I want you to entrust it to others. This is the passing of our faith. Um. But then as I was thinking, as we were reading through this, uh, and I was thinking about the dull of hearing, and we thought we talked about three potential reasons why they might have been dull of hearing. And one was laziness, the other was distraction, and the other was uh, forgetfulness. Now look what Paul says to Timothy in verse 4 and on. As he's talking about entrusting the good deposit, passing it down, um, entrusting it to other faithful men so that they could teach. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So there's the don't get distracted by the world kind of thing. And then he says, an athlete is not one crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Um, There is... I mean, that that can connect to our obedience from laziness, our idolatry to comfort. Uh, We must push forward. 
Um, but also in verse 6, the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops also points to the idea of not settling in and getting lazy uh, with the gospel and what with the riches of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, he talks about the remember thing. Verse 7 and 8, I'm sorry. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And that number, uh, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's what I meant when I said teach yourself. Teach yourself. Be your own preacher daily. Preach to yourself daily. Say to yourself, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. But here's the problem if we, if we do that. If we preach and teach to ourselves, then the familiar, well, how's the saying go? The familiar gets um, watered down. The more familiar you get with something, the, the more potential that you have to kind of it not being as awesome or you being as awestruck. And so it's not just saying, oh, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Then there comes in that idea of teaching yourself through meditation and actually thinking through those those words. Remember Jesus Christ. Okay, remember Jesus uh, and then to meditate on that would be to just to think about each one of those words, Jesus. All right, when I hear the name Jesus, I think about the angel Gabriel telling um, Joseph, you will call him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And then, okay, yeah, i reminded of, of, of his work, of his, of his um, calling, of, of his mission. And then Christ, he is the chosen one, the anointed one from God promised to us. And he's risen from the dead. Okay, he rose from the dead. Just to dwell on his resurrection is something to be remembered and it not be something that is watered down within our lives. So, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel. Preach it to yourself so that you don't forget. So I really I really liked how 2 Timothy chapter 2 fit, fit into what we were saying and was a good way for us to recap what we saw. Um, now let's go back to Hebrews 6, or 5, excuse me, and just also remind you of the expectation that... The preacher had for his audience he says in verse 12 of chapter 5 by this time you ought to be teachers so meaning he says you've had time as a Christian you've had time enough to learn enough that you ought to be teaching and I said teach yourself teach your family teach your fam church family and be ready to teach others as well, and if we have time, I've got a few verses to walk through to help us think about those things. But only if we have time, we'll come back to it. Uh, so then, that's where we left off. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, that's his expectation. Then he gives the reality, and it's kind of a punch into the a punch into the gut for him. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. You need someone to teach you. But then the punch in the gut gets a little deeper. He says again. You need to be taught again. And then he punches them even harder. And he says you need to be taught again the basics. It's not just, oh, you... And so we have to be careful as we're going to walk through some passages here. we got to be careful to not take this as in, oh, you still have to be learning. No, we're always learning, but there must be... You know, you, you, start in, you start in elementary school and you learn your numbers. And after you learn your numbers, you got to move on. you got to learn addition and subtraction. And after you learn addition and subtraction, you build upon that. Multiplication and division. And then we start talking about pre-algebra. And then we keep going to algebra. And then trigonometry. And the next thing you know, you're in calculus and your head's spinning. But the reality is, you had to move past knowing one through nine, right? You, and it wasn't, let's go back to that. You didn't get into eighth grade and say, all right, let's count to ten. You built on the foundation and you continued to grow in your understanding of math. Why wouldn't it be the same for our understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ and His work? Right? To not sit and dwell on the basics. Or your, uh, we will see the words. It doesn't use it in this first few verses. Um, it might in your translation. I don't think it does. But later it brings up the word elementary. And it's like, okay, we got to get past that. But he's saying you ought to be teachers, but the reality is is you need to go back to kindergarten again. You, we have to keep teaching you the basics again. And what does he say? The, uh, my my, my uh, translation says you need to be taught again the basic principles of the oracles of God. And a better way, or not a better way, but a way of understanding it is just the simple elementary truths of God's revelation. We have to continually go back to this. And so what is he, what is he trying to say? He says it at the, the last sentence of verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. You need milk, not solid food. Basically, and he says this, you are a child in the faith. You are not an adult. And I don't mean age-wise. I mean spiritually in your understanding he says it at the end of 13 you're a child you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child um so he wants to he wants to explain to them and, and, and you got to take this is kind of understanding the passage a little bit. He's using irony to some degree. Uh, he knows where they could be because he's already talked through some pretty difficult stuff in chapters one, two, three, and four, and five. And just because he says that they need to be taught again and they they need milk. He goes ahead and gives them five chapters of steak. And so there's a little bit of irony in him trying to 
or sarcasm, I don't know which, which one, to push them past whatever has brought them to this state of immaturity. Because he says, he did say, uh, you have become dull of hearing. So there have there is this lapse that his audience is having, and he's trying to push them out of it, almost with a little bit of an insult, right? It's like you're acting like babies, basically. You need – I can't give you what you want because why don't you give solid food to a newborn? Because they can't, they can't chew it, they can't process it. It, it, it would harm them. It would, it cannot do them any good. And he's like, I've got, I've got the most nutritious, delicious, solid food for you to eat. But I gotta keep giving you milk and burping you. It's time to grow up, because that's what they're lacking. They're lacking maturity in this. Their, their inability to learn means they are lacking growth as a Christian. you got to equate those two things. It, we've had um, – we've had – I don't know if a movement is the right way to say it. But we've had over the last 30, 40, 50 years – it's probably it's probably been a thing that's been existent since Jesus – but I've seen it more and more, or I've seen it a lot in my time, in my lifetime, of saying, okay, the hard doctrines or the knowledge and information isn't that important. I just need a relationship with Jesus. Like so, they they pit faith and knowledge, or love and knowledge. But as I mentioned this morning. When we think about the spouse, the more you know about your spouse, the more you love them, right? The more you get to know them, even in those things that people typically, like, you tell your friend, he does this or she does this, and I just love it. And they're like, oh, that's kind of weird, right? The more you get to know someone you're in a relationship with, the more you learn to love them. The more you you cherish them, if if someone walked in and I said, "Hey, I want you to be best friends with this person," and you say, "Okay, I'll try," well, it's hard, right? There's not as hard that relationship. You don't know anything about them, and I'm saying, but if you got to know this person, you would like them. And so, what do you do? You okay? You get to know them a little bit, like, yeah. And then it it just it snowballs. From there, to say that you can grow in your love with Christ for Christ without gaining knowledge of who He is and what He has done, it's it's just you can't do it. Biblically, it doesn't make sense. Because remember what salve, remember what eternal life is. Jesus says in John 17, eternal life is knowing God. The one true God, knowing him and knowing Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's an intimate relationship, but that intimate relationship is based on your knowing him and understanding him. Now, does that mean you've got to be a super theologian that has everything figured out? No, not, of course not. Of course not. 
You know, that that's why that we can baptize a nine-year-old and, and feel feel confident of the faith that they have. But what is our hope? That they grow in their in their in their um, understanding and their knowledge of of the Lord. Turn to that's right. Um, I think it's First Peter. This just popped into my head. Turn to the end of First Peter, or maybe it's John. It's not First Peter. Ah, Second Peter. Second Peter. Now, start at verse 14 of chapter 3 in 2 Peter. And, and so understanding what the issue at hand is and then his prayer for, the, for you. So there's a problem and then he gives a prayer in response to the problem. If you read all of chapter 3, you know he's talking about the return of the Lord. He's talking about our waiting for the Lord to return. And he says in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So as you wait for the return of Christ, this is how you ought to be waiting. To be found diligent or to, uh, to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. That's seeking holiness, fighting sin, seeking righteousness. Verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our brother, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So he's talking about the end, right? When Paul writes about the end, people are scratching their head and like, what is he talking about? And Peter is acknowledging the difficulty in the way that Paul writes sometimes. And he says, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, careful. Here's what he wants for us. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow... In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, you want to know how you ought to live? Peter says, you have to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only answer. Um, there's many more things to look at. Uh now let's look at look at it from the perspective of Paul. I mean, sorry, not Paul. David. Go to Psalm 119. Of all people, you think David has had enough understanding and education about God. But wait till you see what he says and prays for. Psalm 119. I'm going to just jump through verses here. So I'll say the verse and then we'll read them together. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 12. 
Remember, we're thinking about learning, growing in our understanding of God, right? Not just of information, but of God. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 27, now, I, let me uh, asterisk this. I don't know if this is David, but come on, it's David. If it's not, it's somebody on that level. Okay, verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Uh, 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I might keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. And lastly, 64, 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Now, isn't this an awkward connection? He speaks of the love of God, but then he says, teach me your statutes. See, we cannot pit these two things of love and knowledge together, of love and understanding, uh, it is the exact opposite. The more we know of the love of God, the more we want to know about everything that he has to say or do or be. Everything. Um, growth comes with this sort of attitude of a desire that I need more. I can't have enough, and that's the th that's the weird thing about that's the weird thing about being in Christ is you are satisfied yet you want more, while the world says it will satisfy you, and you feel you attempt satisfaction in the world, but you feel malnourished and hungry constantly, but in Christ you are satisfied but yet want more and more and more. The, the, the writer of Psalm 119 is not satisfied with simplicity. He's not satisfied with just knowing the simple things of God. He wants to know more. Now, the, the, there's a danger, well, there's a lot of danger in staying in immaturity, of staying as a child, of not growing in your understanding of God. Um Hang in Psalm 119, and let me let me I'm going to read what he says in Hebrews 6, but we're going to look back at Psalm 119. He says, "You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child." What does he mean by that? Well, if we're back in Psalm 119. Go back, go to verse 9 and see the results of seeking wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure or a young person or an old person for that matter? How can a, how can a man or a woman keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 
I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now look at verse 34. We read this one already, but see the seeking of understanding and then what the result is. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it observe it with my whole heart. If you are immature in your understanding of, of, of God, of Jesus, of the work of Christ, of the gospel, and as he says, unskilled in the word of righteous, righteousness, you will have a very hard time being obedient to the Lord. Very, very hard time being obedient to the Lord. Now look at 51 in Psalm 119. Look what other challenge he faces. The insolent uttered, utterly deride me. So he's got people on the outside who are coming at him. He's not just worried about obedience in living his life. He's got pressures from the outside. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Look at 61. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. The more we know and understand God, His Word, and what He has done, the more that when we feel pressure from wickedness and evilness around us, the firmer we can stand. Look at verses 157 in Psalm 119. 157, all the way to the end. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimony. Now, if there's ever a time we need to think about these types of verses, it's today more than ever. The wickedness and the evilness that is just popping up around us. And the potential, the potential of hatred and persecution to Christians. It seems like it's right at our doorstep. And if we think that we're going to uh, stand firm in the faith, if 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 we're gonna be uh, if we're gonna be faithful servants, and we are not growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, we stand no chance, not against the enemy, but in remaining firm in Christ. That's the problem that we should be concerned with, not whether or not it hurts that they come at us, or that we aren't. I don't know. It doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how we are responding to them, but it does matter that we remain faithful to Christ. And that's what we're after. Faithfulness. Which will then translate to how we act and respond to the wicked and the evil and the persecutor. I'm I'm telling you, like if we, we have to be prepared for these things. We have to be prepared that we will be ready to stand firm in Christ when it gets nasty. Because what we... Uh, I can't think of the verses or the, or the books. Um, 
this this is one thing that the author of Hebrews is is hinting at throughout it, and he speaks to it a little bit at the end. They are starting to face a bit of persecution. Whoever his audience is, they're starting to face a bit of persecution. And he's wanting them to what? Hold fast. Remain firm. Stand strong. All of these things, as opposed to be, being um, uh, uh, pushed over, knocked over, swerving, being tossed to and fro. And we could go on and, and on about that. But here's one more thing I want to say. When I talked about this morning about teaching your children, our children are the most vulnerable to that to the wickedness that's around us. And that's always been the case, but and I'm going to sound like I'm but nowadays the technology has brought the wickedness and the evil Straight to our children's fingertips. Yeah. And so if we aren't teaching them, if we're not teaching them as we've been called to, how to observe and keep the commands of Jesus, they stand no chance. They stand no chance. If we're not raising them up Showing them that which is in front of them are coming, then they will not be prepared. They will not be prepared. We must build up our children in the ways of the Lord. We must express to them that Christ is better, that He is more valuable than all that the world has to offer. Because the world is coming to them and saying, this is great. Take it. Find your identity in this. Be who you want to be in this way. And all of that goes directly against the Word of God, as Brother Dan's been talking about in Sunday school. We must teach our children. All right, so to try to finish up here pretty quick, go back to Hebrews 6. Um... Well, just the, actually the last verse of 5, I believe. Yeah. So we'll read 13 to help us think about 14. We just 13 is the dangers of immaturity. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Verse 14 is then going to be the fruit of maturity. The fruit of maturity. But solid food is for the mature. And so when he's saying solid food, he's talking about these teachings that go beyond the simple, the elementary. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Uh, what's powers of discernment? What is that? Let's just say it this way. It's the practical use of godly wisdom. Discernment is having something in front of you 
and trying to decide something about it. Uh, discernment is saying it is, well, basically from our passage, whether it's good or evil. Um, whether it's uh, the good and perfect will of God or if it's outside the will of God. That's the power of discernment. It's using godly wisdom to live your life. To distinguish, as he says, good from evil. That's what Paul says in Romans 12, right? To be not, de not to be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's learning. That's learning from the Word of God. Be transformed by the re renewal of your mind so that you might... Ugh, I had it. That by testing, you may discern, discernment, the use of wisdom, what is the will of God. Now, I don't mean... Um, should we... Well, no, I won't say that yet. You discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That, that's the same concept. Discerning the powers of discernment to distinguish good from evil. Um, even, even John in 1 John, he wants us to put to test all the spirits to discern if they are good or not. And that only comes through learning. God and his word you cannot you cannot have wisdom and discernment apart from you chewing and eating the solid food of the scriptures you can't have I'll say this you can you're not chewing you're not eating solid food if and if you do this I, I I'm sorry it's just what popped in my mind if your Bible time is just simply reading, the pamphlet daily bread once a day that's like having that's like having a 500 calorie diet and trying to live on that you you shrivel up and die you're no good you can't do any work you cannot put any effort into life because you're only eating 500 calories if you're if you're Bible time, your quiet time, your devotional time, whatever you want to call it, is dependent upon a devotional that's this big that mentions one verse. You, you're, you're needing to be taught, again, the basic principles of God's revelation. You're still in elementary school. You're hungry. And you stand no chance against the persecution. You stand no chance against fighting your sin. You might get a you know, you eat your 500 calories in the morning and you feel good for a little while. But then what happens? Fresh. Yeah. You get hungry. You get weak. You can't work. You can't do what you got to do. Like, milk is not enough. But the solid food of the scriptures is what's... Here's, here's the things that you can do. Parts of uh, the fruits of maturity. Fight sin. Because you got to acknowledge it. You, you don't know sin unless you know God. You cannot distinguish sin unless you are learning more about God. Um, you can give counsel to your friends, your neighbors, your wife, your husband, your kids, your co-workers with maturity 
from eating the solid foods of the scriptures, you can then help counsel those who need help, who, who want godly help. Um, make decisions. So many, so many kids grow up and they get 16, 17, and they're like, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. I don't know if I should do this or should do this or should do this. And you know what they're completely forgetting? Discernment. Wisdom. God did not tell them what college to go to in Hebrews chapter 5. But what he has done is he's given them, if they are in Christ, the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, to be transformed by the renewal of their mind, to know how to use godly wisdom to make godly decisions. God doesn't say, here's, here's the path I had laid out for you. He wants you to make choices. He wants you to use that wisdom that he's given you, the knowledge that you have gained, to live a life for his glory. Um, and then the, the other one uh, is to know is to is to be able to know I don't know how to say this um, to do the good deeds that you ought to do because you might say to somebody the Lord put that on my heart and I just had to do it and someone in an immature mind might say well that was real silly I don't know why you would do that that person is whatever. As you grow and mature in your understanding of Christ, you realize uh, you realize and understand how you ought to be towards people in ways that people in immaturity they don't they just they they can't get it they can't get it so that's the fruit of maturity um, and so and this is quickly chapter six one through three he says. Let's move from infancy to maturity. Let's do it. Let's just do it. He says in verse 1, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith towards God, and of instruction, or, and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Let me just say this. Ch verse the, that list of things is pretty it's it's pretty I don't want to say controversial. There's a lot of commentary about what those are. I mean, are we talking about Jewish understanding of things? Are they talking about we don't have to get hung up on it. Like is is the uh, the instruction about washing is that the Jewish ritual understanding? Are we talking about baptism? It doesn't matter. The point is, is that whatever these things are, they're fundamental. They are ground level necessary, but it's time to move on and build the rest of the house. It's When he says let's leave the elementary doctrines of Christ, it's not like let's leave and never see them again. It's we've poured the concrete let's build some walls let's put a roof on it we can't leave it as if we're never going to rely on it the foundation is there and it will always be there but we can't not we can't keep laying the foundation or we'll never have a house if we keep talking about the basics you'll never have the fullness 
and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. So he's like, is part of his, let's go, let's let's stop being dull of hearing. Let's move on from our immaturity. Maybe stop being lazy. Stop being distracted. Let's remember who we're, what we're talking about. He says, let's go on to maturity. Now, here, I'm going to give you an example. If someone, that you just do this in your own head. If someone asked you, what does it mean to be saved? What is salvation? And you just think about that. And how, just in your own mind, how simple is your understanding of salvation? Now, it's simple as... Someone could just say salvation is being saved by Jesus from hell. And they would be right. But let me read you let me read you article 4 of our statement of faith on the way of salvation. I read this this morning in our on our members members class and I was overwhelmed by how much meat, solid food, it used to explain salvation. And I was thinking, man, we could spend weeks on these four or five sentences. We believe that the salvation of sinners is holy of grace through the mediatorial offices of the Son of God who by the appointment of the Father freely took upon him our nature, yet without sin, honored the divine law by his personal obedience, and by his death made a full atonement for our sins. That having risen from the dead, he is now enthroned in heaven, and united in his wonderful person the tenderest sympathies with divine perfections. He is in every way qualified to be a suitable, compassionate, an all-sufficient Savior. I mean, we could chop that up and we could feast on that for weeks. And it would do us so good. And I mean, we you, you might think, well, those are just big words I don't understand. I don't have to understand. Yeah, they're big words that theologians have put together. Mediatorial, uh, atonement, um, uh, divine perfections, tenderest sympathy. Like, what are these words? But th- these words connotate what the scriptures speak of salvation in Jesus Christ. These phrases are direct, direct teaching and doctrine from the scripture about what Christ has done, who Christ is, and what we have in him. And the more we know... Mediatorial offices, like it, we—that is the understanding of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. That's an understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is better. Jesus is the one. If, if we look back at the Old Testament of all the all the prophets and all the priests and all the kings and all their duties, all their failures, all their all their wants and tries and everything that they tried to do, Jesus comes along and he is the perfect prophet. He's the perfect priest. And he's the perfect king. And that's just a taste of what that means. And it's for you. Like those three offices are for you as a Christian. They're, all three of those offices are important to you. 
And those things are to give you encouragement and hope in what they mean for you. And so, yeah, salvation is Jesus, the Son of God, came and died for my sins and I don't have to go to hell. But it, oh, we, could get, we could just eat so much more than that. That's just like the appetizer. That's just a taste. There's so much more that Christ, how we can define and see and understand. And it's not like we're making it up. It's based on the Word of God. It's based on the Word of God. Um, and so that was just an example that hit me this morning. And so my, my challenge for you is to not be satisfied with the simple. Don't try to be fulfilled with milk. And then he says the last thing. And this, verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. That's quite a state. Like, come on, why do you have to say that? That's not false humility. This isn't him being, trying to have false humility and be like, you know, whatever. But it's an understanding. The preacher has an understanding, an acknowledgement that all of this, the growing in maturity, the moving on from the, the elementary, it all depends on the Lord. So I'm not telling you to go home and become the best theologian or learn everything you can on your own, within your own power. The Lord has to bless you in this. The Lord has to open up your eyes and ears to see. And that's the thing about it. There are, there you hear from uh, the older people get, and they've read a certain passage a million times, and then they read it one day, and the Lord opened their eyes to see something new. And so, we'll do this, as he says, if the Lord permits. And this, and this is also why Paul and Peter, they pray to God that people grow in their knowledge. They, they pray to God. They don't just say, hey, grow in your knowledge. They say, we're praying that you grow in your knowledge. Why would you pray? Because it is an act of God. You pray because God is the one who does, equips, and enables. That's why they pray to the Colossians, for the Colossians and the Ephesians. Um, but I'll, I'll leave it with this on a hint. Um, he also might be saying, and we will do this if God permits, because the next verse... Uh, I'm not sure if this is how he's connected it, but he goes on in the next few verses to say, some of you might not be able to. It might be too late for some of you, he says in the next few verses. You might have turned away finally and can never turn back. And so that's just kind of a... a it, read verses 4 through the rest of the chapter, especially verses to 12. And we, we see of the warning of apostasy of people who have turned from Christ and are unable to return. And we'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. Uh, so let's, let's take a little bit of time and pray this evening.